want you to try and imagine the scene. You're sitting with your friends and compatriots huddled together in a room that you've scarcely felt able to leave for days on end, let alone hours, because of what might happen to you if you show your face to the world. The doors of the room where you are are locked and bolted to keep out any unwelcome intruders who may haul you off at any moment to the authorities. Not only are you filled with fear, but also with uncertainty, bewilderment, and confusion. The leader of the movement you called Master has been arrested, tried on false charges, and handed over to, to the political rulers to be executed. And because he died a cruel death by crucifixion, you now fear for your own life too. And you don't know what to do except to cling to one another for support and solidarity. Now you or I, thank God, may never have been in quite that same place of danger as those disciples were. But I'm sure that you can identify with their feelings and emotions from experiences that may have threatened and challenged you at some time in your own life. I guess, as with me, there will have been times for you when you have known bewilderment, fear, doubt, confusion, not knowing what to do next, which way to turn. It could even be that you have been or are still going through a period like that in your life right now. But it is into this maelstrom of bewilderment, confusion and fear and through locked and bolted doors that your Lord and Master, who you know was crucified, suddenly appears. So what does that do for the disciples when they see Jesus risen from the dead? And what does that do for you when Jesus enters into your situation of bewilderment, fear, and confusion? Clearly, it changes everything. But how? Well, I want to pick up on three things in that short passage from John chapter 20 that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Three sayings of Jesus that I believe speak into situations such as the disciples were facing then and you may be facing now or have done in your life. Words that bring to us a sense of healing and of wholeness. And the first is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. What Jesus says here to the disciples sounds like a greeting, and it probably was. 
But notice that Jesus says it more than once. It's repeated. It's as though the gospel writer is trying to flag something up about this, as if to say, well, yes, it is a greeting, peace be with you. That was the Jewish way of greeting each other, shalom. But it's as if John is saying to us, look, this is more than a greeting. It's the fulfillment of a promise. When we look back in John's gospel, back to chapter 14 and verse 27, we find that Jesus made this promise to his followers then, shortly before he was to die. Peace I leave with you, he said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And again, in chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus says, In me you have peace. In the world you face persecution. But take courage. I have conquered the world. Here, I believe, as Jesus comes in to that upper room with these frightened disciples, he is delivering on those promises that he made to them just days before. And the basis of that fulfilled promise of peace is revealed in what Jesus does next. John tells us he showed them his hands and his side. In his risen body, Jesus still bears the marks of his crucifixion and death. Resurrection hasn't expunged that suffering as though it never happened, as though we're just getting rid of what was a bad dream or a bad experience. No, it's taking it seriously. And God is vindicating Jesus for going through that suffering and death in obedience to God's will. And because of that, God has raised him from the dead and declared victory over what placed Jesus on the cross. I have conquered the world, Jesus said. In other words, his victory on the cross, vindicated in the resurrection, shows that sin, evil, and death are defeated and conquered forever. Alleluia. Amen. What are the marks of suffering that you carry in your body in your mind or spirit. The scars that Jesus carries tell you that he's with you in your suffering. That although you carry scars of one kind or another, he carries scars too. Though you have wounds, he has wounds as well. But those scars and those wounds, whatever they may be, physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, they are not the end. Because Jesus says, I have conquered the world. You have the victory in me. You will not be defeated, even by what you are going through now, even by what is assailing you at this time. You will prevail because I have conquered the world. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid.
So Jesus brings a promise of peace, a promise of shalom. That doesn't just mean a promise of calm and quiet. Shalom has a deeper meaning. It's a promise of well-being. It's a promise of wholeness. It's a promise of what Jesus said he had come to bring in the first place, life in all its fullness. So firstly, Jesus brings peace. The second saying that Jesus makes is this. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now just imagine again if you're in that upper room huddled together in fear with your ten companions. Perhaps there were more than that. Just imagine how you might have felt when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It reminds me of the saying of a famous tennis player, you cannot be serious. <laughs> what? Sending me out there? Where they're going to grab hold of me? Where they're going to crucify me? Where they're going to kill me just as they did to you? You want me to unlock those doors and risk getting arrested? You want me to step out publicly into danger? Raise my head above the parapet? <sighs> Jesus. You're asking too much. How can I possibly break out from the fear that binds me in this place? No wonder Paul said, writing to Christians in Corinth of the Christian life, who is sufficient for these things? Or as in the translation that was read from, who is equal to such a task? There are so many things that Jesus sometimes asks of us that make us feel like that, that make us feel that we are insufficient for these things, that we're not up to the job. What might it be that makes you feel insufficient, inadequate, unable to step up to the plate, unable to do what perhaps Christ asks of you? Is it illness, bereavement, a broken relationship, life setbacks and disappointments, the loss of job or income, a sense of your own personal failure or worthlessness, a spirit of guilt or shame that you carry with you? You might say, Jesus, you want me to go out there and be your disciple and be your witness. How is it possible for me to do that? How can I break out from all that is within me that binds me? from all that life has done to me and that holds me in its thrall. Jesus, are you sending me out as you said you were sending out those disciples? And Jesus says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because I know what I'm doing. And Jesus says, I think, something like this to us. To paraphrase what Paul says, writing to the church in Corinth. You may be weak. You may be vulnerable. You may feel inadequate. 
You may be broken. You may feel that you are unequal to the task. You may feel that you have very little to offer. You may be afraid of the reaction that you will get if you declare yourself to be a disciple or a witness. But I need you. I need you as you are, not as you might be. I need you as you are to show my love to others as I have shown love to you. Paul said, we are persons of sincerity, persons sent to spread the fragrance of Christ to those around us. Who will detect the fragrance of Christ wafting around the world unless we are sent by Christ to spread his aroma to the world? In that same second letter to the Corinthians, Paul goes on to speak about treasure in clay jars, to declare that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Wow, that's a relief. Because I often think, I don't know about you, but I often think this is all down to me. That if I don't feel adequate to the task, then the task won't be well done. Or if I don't feel up to it, then I'm going to let Jesus down. But Jesus says, you know, it doesn't work quite like that. Paul told us later in 2 Corinthians that it's through our weakness that power is made perfect. Whenever I am weak, he says, then I am strong. And Paul was very weak on quite a lot of occasions. For those of us called to healing ministry, this is a truth we need to take on board. I know it's a truth I need to take on board. It isn't a matter of whether we feel strong, adequate, capable, sufficient for these things, equal to the task. What matters is that we say, it isn't down to me, it's down to God. And rely on the Holy Spirit that God's strength and power may be revealed through our weakness and our inadequacy. And the same is exactly true for those of you who come for prayer, feeling broken, weak, vulnerable, inadequate, unworthy. God says to you too, through your weakness, through your vulnerability, through your brokenness, my power and my strength can be made clear. So as I, Jesus said, I am sending you as the Father sent me. We are sent, as Paul said, sent as persons to spread the fragrance of Christ to those around us. And the third thing that Jesus says to these disciples is this. Receive the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And thirdly, receive the Holy Spirit. Clearly, none of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. It's because of the Holy Spirit that those frightened disciples did eventually go out of that locked room, 
through the bolted door and allowed themselves to be sent by the Spirit of Jesus to where he wanted them to go. But notice that Jesus doesn't just say, receive the Holy Spirit. John tells us that he breathed on the disciples. Why is that? Well, in Hebrew, the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit, ruach. And by giving us this detail, John is deliberately taking us back to the account of creation in Genesis, where the Lord formed man from the dust or clay of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. John's reminder to us that it was the first day of the week is a further echo of the creation story resonating through this account. What John is telling us is that the resurrection of Jesus is as powerful an event as the act of creation itself. Indeed, what the risen Christ demonstrates is that he brings into being a new creation because he is the prototype or the forerunner of the age to come when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. When that time comes, God will raise with Christ all those who have died in Christ. We in healing ministry know that the work of the Holy Spirit is crucial, not only in enabling the grace and power of God to be channeled through prayer and through those exercising healing prayer ministry, but also in speaking directly to those who minister and to those who receive prayer about where the root of a condition lies and how it may be dealt with to bring about a new creation. You see, that's why we who are called to healing ministry would want to echo Paul's rhetorical question. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is equal to such a task? We come to see that it isn't all about us at all. It's completely about the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. And the same applies to every one of us to those of us who pray, and to those of us who receive prayer. As Paul tells Christians in Rome, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So then, tonight, you may come able to identify in some measure with the feelings and emotions of those disciples gathered in fear in that place whose doors were locked and bolted. If so, to you as to those disciples, Jesus speaks those three say sayings. Peace be with you. He brings you his peace. He fulfills on his promise to you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He sends you out from a place of fear, of bewilderment, of confusion, of uncertainty. He doesn't want you to be there anymore. He wants you to go out into the world as a new creation to declare God's love to others. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit and breathes upon you 
so that that new creation that God wants you to become may start to transform your life and become a reality within you. Like Paul, you may well ask, who is sufficient for these things? You may feel totally insufficient, but you are not alone. The risen Christ comes to you and by his spirit will remain with you to bring healing, wholeness, and new life. So let me invite you to come tonight and seek the prayer you need, however you may feel, whatever state or situation you may be in. And let the Spirit of Christ minister to you and enable you to become a new creation, a person standing in the presence of God and transformed by the power of the risen Christ. Amen. So let's make that our prayer now as we sing our next song.